0: It's
1: a new recording brand new.
0: Yeah. Start all over. Okay.
1: How are you, Joe?
0: Hey, hi. hi Nate. I'm super well. How are you?
1: Good. I was just.
0: Wait, where were you? Where'd I was.
1: I was in Minnesota at a conference. You were? Yeah. So we are now broadcasting in our new studio. Yeah. So I just moved the office and my home, mm-hmm. and then I right after moving I went to the conference. <laughs> so I haven't really settled into the new place yet. But we're it's here. Way cute. The and it was a conference in Minnesota. Um, Mofas, the Minnesota Organization of Fetal Alcohol syndrome. They hosted it. It was really good. Lots of people, all types of professionals, parents, they had advocates there um, with FASD. What was That's your great. favorite takeaway? My, my, my favorite takeaway was a lot about prevention. Cause I'm not, I haven't, you know, I focus on behaviors of people who already have an yeah. issue. So A big part of the FASD, you know, organizations are that prevention piece of how do we reach out to women to not drink when they're pregnant. Um, And it's really complex and really interesting. So I got to hear a lot more about that than I usually expose myself to. That's cool. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. And um, I met a bunch of people who recognized me from the videos. And that's why
0: I call you a rock star.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And some people, some people even listen to the podcast. So, um, Yeah, I
0: am a rock star. I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Hi, Nate.
1: Hi. So, this is our listener questions uh, podcast where we're going to be answering the questions that our listeners have asked us. So, thank you, everybody who asked us a question. We're going to continue to Start. We're going to be putting the form for your questions on every single episode from now on. So you'll see a link at the bottom of each show notes on each episode that will say, "If you have a question, submit it here." So yeah. we we want you to continue to send us your questions as they come. If we say something during a podcast that you want to know more about or you want to, you know, ask us more about, uh, go ahead and submit it there, and we will continue to do these listener question podcasts periodically yeah. so it was and, super cool yeah sorry
0: Nate, allow me to interrupt you it was just really cool because it was um it all these different people from all over the place had these questions and it was like oh my gosh people really are engaging this and it mm-hmm. was it felt really felt really cool
1: yeah, and with podcasts, for those of you listening, it's really difficult to know how many people listen. Mm-hmm. So we tried to figure that out. We think maybe we're at about four hundred people, mm-hmm. which I think is great. Yeah. But you know, the more you comment, the more you you know send us these questions. It helps us get a sense of how many people are listening and you know what you guys want to hear. Yeah. So will continue. Sure. So we're going to get started with a question from Carrie, and she is from California. And her question is, my adopted son, age eight, is starting to understand that he's different from other kids. At what age is it appropriate to share that he has a brain-based disability and the reason behind it? For his example, his birth mother drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also looking for a good way to describe his disability to his siblings and to his peers. So okay. what are your thoughts on that?
0: I have lots of thoughts on that. As I'm a, As we know, I'm a huge advocate for... Um, naming it and not, uh, and always sharing what our our barriers are, um, regardless of what the the label is. I'm just I, I'm just a really big fan of labels. I think it gives us all roadmaps to understand our own brains and have other people understand our brains. Um, so my answer to you, Carrie,
1: Carrie, yeah, Carrie,
0: is that mm-hmm. now the sooner you can start introducing these concepts to your son, the more he will stop shaming himself and start having a reason to identify his differences, which yeah. empowers him instead yeah. of shames. And I think that's massive. And um, wait, what was that other part? The second
1: part. The, the way to describe the disability. Yeah.
0: So like using the river visu- vi- visualization.
1: Yeah, um, we, made, we made an episode about that a few yeah. weeks ago, the river visual.
0: What yeah. you can do is you can kind of explain to him... When, when our daughter was younger, I used to call him brain boo-boos because in her mind, not that I was putting a neg- negative aspect on um, the brain damage she has, but it's, it's actual brain damage. Just like when we skin our knee and we damage the, the layer of skin, alcohol, ethanol did that to our brain matter when she was a baby and so to her brain matter. So um, I think depending on where he is developmentally and through in his language skills, even if you use the word brain boo-boos, it doesn't... It just representing that he actually has physical brain damage in his brain and how that can affect everything in his life and then using that visualization tool of the river to show how he has all of these barriers and and boundaries up um, more so than other kiddos but that he can still get from point a to point b he just has to have more supports
1: yeah we have those supports that are in place yeah yeah um i i pretty much agree i think that the earlier, the better to talk mm-hmm. about kind of what's going on, and that way it can be normalized, and so yeah. the, the supports can be normalized. Yeah. I think there might be situations where if if you were to say the reason, which mm-hmm. is you know your mom, your biological mother drank, mm-hmm. um, it, it just kind of depends on the situation. I think most of the time it's probably okay, but there, if there's still a relationship there or that could be problematic, that's kind of you know everybody needs to ask that question before somebody moves forward on that.
0: In our case, in our family's case, we have an open adoption
1: mm-hmm. and.
0: Um, our oldest bio mom is still very much a part of her world and our world and she's even my Instagram friend and my Facebook friend and everything that I put out and say she hears and her group of friends and peers hear and um, she also was the most courageous person on the planet because she she gave us the knowledge that our oldest had exposure in utero so that we were able to get her Diagnosed earlier yeah. on in her life, which is a huge, it's incredible selfish choice. Absolutely,
1: selfless. Yeah, it's because selfless, yeah. selfless choice. Because I mean, having getting a diagnosis is difficult. So if you can yeah. have a biological mother who feels comfortable, you know, telling the doctor that that would be really helpful in getting that diagnosis. And, and
0: and and this is the coolest part. Through all of this, we've taken the shame out of that for our bio mom because yeah. we. Um, I knew that I needed to be a strong advocate in the community for my, Mm -hmm. for my daughter and that because we are still tied to her and because we still desperately love her for creating this incredible child. Um, I wanted to make sure that anyone that was in our community, Mm -hmm. um, knew that we have no anger, no shame because if, and this is what I tell a lot of people. So Carrie, this is what I would tell your son is that I don't think any woman goes into a pregnancy wanting to harm the fetus or the child. No one wants to do that. Right. When women don't know what alcohol can do to a fetus, which is most of the time, when they may not know what they're going to be doing with the child, if they're going to be keeping the child, whatever, they are scared.
1: Or they, they don't know they're pregnant yet. They don't know they're
0: pregnant yet. Yeah. They're scared. They're lost. They're confused. They're not educated in that sense because of preventional issues. We we, we don't speak a lot about um, this in our society. Right. The last person we should be blaming right now, I think, my personal opinion, is the bio moms. because. Um, they didn't want to harm. And that's what we tell our daughters, that if she would have known that you were in there getting hurt, not a chance in hell she would have kept doing that. The second she found out that our oldest was in there and she was cooking and that she was going to come to us, she no longer drank. And while the damage was still done, her heart was in it, and that is the real her. So it never should be about shame. It should be about a, a beautiful place. And like you said, just talk about prevention. Let's go to the next piece. Let's... Talk about how we can prevent it next time.
1: Yeah. And as far as explaining it, um, there are books about fetal alcohol. Mm-hmm. There is There are um, like kids books that are made to kind of explain it. Yeah. And so, Carrie, I guess the answer is, you know, as far as what you say, I think it's it's important for a child to know that they have a disability. Yeah. And so whether as far as whether or not they know the specifics of that at age 8 versus age 13 mm-hmm. versus age 7 – that's going to be kind of up to you to feel out and the appropriateness. Just keeping in mind that I think it is really important for a person to be able to say, I have fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, yeah. um, and not feel any shame. And yes. there, that, that is an issue. Like even saying it can be considered offensive to some, you know, bringing it up can be offensive and it, that just has to, stop it has to stop. This is everybody on the earth knows somebody yeah. who has fetal alcohol isn't that statistically Isn't that crazy? you know at least one person if not multiple and so we that it's we have to kind of take away that stigma as well and so we yeah. need to be able to say fetal alcohol without feeling feeling like we're being jerks right um right. so
0: because in order to tame it we gotta name it
1: yeah and a lot of times this is how it comes up she talks about how her son is starting to understand that he's different from other kids mm-hmm. and so that's usually how it happens is when the kiddo starts to ask you what they're, or, you know, they're showing signs of wanting to know what's the deal here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's again, when I think that our, the river illustration would be really good. Yeah, Um, absolutely, yeah. either for labeling or helping to label, or just to talk about what the cognitive skill issues are. Maybe mm-hmm. you don't have to talk about specifically what's happening, but you can say, you know, you struggle with attention or you struggle with certain skills or, you know, keeping, keeping calm when you get upset, let's work on that. That gives you something to kind of that's tangible that you can work on because yeah. when it's just the disability, there's really nothing that we can do at this point. So, you know, using that illustration I think could be helpful. So definitely listen to our episode on that if you haven't already. Yeah. Um, another quote that relates to this, that I was reading, um, doing some research this week was from Diane Malbin.
0: Ah, oh, love her.
1: Yeah. And yeah. she, this, I got from a binder cause I went to one of her trainings and she said, People with fetal alcohol or neurobehavioral issues are often confused by how their brains work. And without information, there's no way of knowing that how their brain works is normal for them. Love it. One of the basic human needs is the need to make sense of ourselves. Yes. So information about fetal alcohol provides this understanding and is usually described as a gift by people with fetal alcohol. Yes. Finally, things make sense. Understanding yes. is a beginning, a point of liberation rather yes. than limitation. Okay.
0: We yeah. have to like just breathe for a second because that is so... I'm going to cry. That is so just oh my god this is why i love dying in melbourne i mean right there come on yeah oh my gosh so good
1: Sorry. so our next question is from terry in las vegas and she's just wondering about using medications versus not using medications when the issues are rages explosion or destruction due to fetal alcohol Um, what about just therapy? Does, um, cognitive behavioral therapy therapy work with kids with FASDs, um, et cetera, et cetera. So she kind of, that she's kind of wanting to know about various things. So I think I'll start with this one. Um, first of all, does cognitive behavior therapy work for kids with FAS? The answer is it depends on the therapist and I'm not trying to be negative about the mental health systems, but most often therapists are not really taught about fetal alcohol or even developmental disabilities to the extent that they need to provide effective therapy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you get a lot of these therapists and in our system in Oregon, you're often getting very new therapists who are coming right out of school. And so they might, they have, they have their learning curve, right? They have to figure it out or maybe not figure it out. So I work with many families who end up leaving therapy because what happens is their kid goes in there and then the therapist wants to have a 45 minute verbal conversation, which anybody listening to this podcast knows does not work for FASDs due to receptive communication issues, not processing what's being said. And so if you can find a therapist, whether it's cognitive behavioral therapy or other types, um, That's going to be the first step. They have to cater that therapy to the cognitive skill set of the person. Can I give a perfect example of that? Sure.
0: The therapist that our daughter sees right now, she's extraordinary. And everything she has to say is powerful and impacts our oldest. Mm -hmm. But at first, she would come out of a session. Our oldest would come out of a session and the therapist would have a talk with me or email me and say, I just can't get through to her everything I'm saying. She's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know, I know. And I was like, well... I think she's hearing about ten percent of what you're saying, and I think anxiety is there, and I think that she just can't process everything Mm -hmm. you're saying. So what I do at home is I draw pictures for her, or we write back and forth in like a journal type thing when we need to. When I have to get something across to her, and so I suggested doing that, and then I went in and I showed her how I Mm -hmm. do pictures as I talk. Right after that, that session, and uh, the next one time that our daughter went back to her, she said the entire time she. Drew pictures while talking and wrote in a mm-hmm. journal type dialogue, writing back and forth. She said she was engaged the entire forty five minutes. Yeah, she got more done with um, our oldest than she ever has before. Yeah, and so I think even and and this therapist, although we adore her, she's never worked with someone with FASD. Right. So she, but she was willing to yeah. learn some new strategies. And
1: most are. I, I mean, I, I would think I would think most are, in my experience too. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, Yeah, because they want want to help.
1: Yeah, they just just need to be told exactly what to do. The other thing about cognitive behavior therapy and a bunch of other therapies is that, you know, the word cognitive gives you a clue. Mm -hmm. What that does is you're really thinking about your ability to think and how you respond to certain situations. Uh And that is advanced, being aware of your emotions and even being aware of the flaws in your thinking. That's hard for a neurotypical person to do. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy could potentially work for a person with FASD if they're initially met where they're at, maybe Mm -hmm. as a child and you slowly build that progress. That's another issue with mental health, um, systems is that often the goals, you know, and the the payments through insurance and all of those things, you know, there's supposed to be certain progress being made and it doesn't allow for the longer amounts of time that people with developmental disabilities, especially FASD tend to need. Um, so that's something to keep in mind.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And the accessibility factor, you know, if, if if they're, if they do need medication or some kind of chemical.
1: Oh yeah. We haven't even talked about medication yet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the answer to that as a rule is ask your doctor. (laughs) Um, and, you know, we're not doctors here.
0: Well, speak for yourself, mate.
1: No. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> the joke I always tell is I watched the show, the TV show House and therefore I pretty I much am a am doctor. doctor. Yeah. 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 Um it's yeah. not lupus. <laughs> um yeah. med- I'm not anti-medication, is what I guess what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll frequently suggest that parents begin to talk to their their doctor or their medication manager about medications, especially when there's anxiety. So I'll frequently suggest, you know, that the conversation about medication start when there's anxiety. So as far as what Terry was asking about when there are rages, explosions, destruction due to FAS, um, the, 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 the issue I think is that rage doesn't happen, quote unquote, due to FAS. It happens because there is a stressor and the person doesn't have the skills. Now it might be because of FAS, but it could also be because of a lot of other factors. Our next episode will be about loneliness. Loneliness uh, can be a factor. So yes. even if everything is going well, if you're lonely, you might be more likely to go into a rage. Yes. Mental health is a factor. Mm-hmm. Um, Trauma is definitely a factor. So medic, medicating, when you are trying to handle rage, it's really important that you are doing it with everything else also being in consideration, yeah. um, which I'm sure most parents do. We don't necessarily jump to the medications of this type. Um, the, you know, the first time we want to try other things. So I, th- I think Terry, as long as you are ensuring that there are no other major factors playing, then you can begin to have that conversation with your doctor or med manager. Yeah.
0: And I think, you know, we, we, with ours, we've done um, a lot of things through diet. Um, she's been gluten-free, soy-free, casein-free off and on for most of her little life, which has been really beneficial. We stay away from a lot of dyes and sugars. Um, we uh, we just do a lot of things food-wise that helps. Um, but without a doubt, even though we're this kind of a hippie family that I was very much scared and opposed to a lot of the medications we're putting on our developing brains of children these days... Um, we got to a point where I had to really, um, learn Mm -hmm. that our brains do have chemicals and that they do have, um, they, they do have chemicals and they, they need a lot of these kids need certain chemicals, synthetic chemicals in their brain to really function. So don't be afraid of pharmaceuticals. Just be a strong advocate. Do your homework, do your research, talk to different doctors, talk to different parents, Um, and, and don't, but don't be afraid to medicate your kiddos if they really, really need it.
1: Right. Because when there's a mental health issue, which is usually what medications Mm -hmm. that we're talking about help with, you know, that if you can handle something like anxiety or rage, that's a shortcut. Now additional skills can be built. Yes. If if you're hesitant to do that, then that means it's going to probably take longer in certain situations to make that same progress.
0: Yeah, Totally.
1: Okay, so let's do one more question. Kristen from Texas asks, Texas. Are, are kids with FASDs capable of bullying in the traditional sense that bullying is defined?
0: I think this is a super good question.
1: Yeah, and I have thoughts on this. Because mm-hmm. I, um, I would say that I, for most of my life, have been very sympathetic toward bullies. And that's really kind of Mm -hmm. how I got my, I would say, the path to where I'm at now. When I was like 14, I watched a documentary on one of the school shooters in Oregon named Mm -hmm. Kip Kinkle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as like a 14 or 15 year old, um, I understood there's more to this this guy's story because it really did like kind of talk about all that was going on. You know, and not that he was a bully. He obviously was very violent, but at the time, you know, I could apply it to the people in my life who I saw as bullies. And then mm-hmm. I continued to kind of be, you know, wanting to be a little bit more helpful to this quote unquote population of people. Mm-hmm. So the the issue is the traditional sense that bullying is defined, I have an issue with, because regardless of whether or not somebody has a disability, you know, people say they're a bully, they're a bully, but we rarely look into the reasons
0: of why. Yeah.
1: And once exactly. you, once you get to know those reasons, yeah. you know, it gets a lot harder to be a little judgy about yes,
0: it. Yes, totally, Nate. And, and
1: so, yes. But to answer the question, yes, people with FASD can bully because bullies bully for a reason. Right. They are getting something out of it. Um, and it's not what people assume they're getting out of it. It's not right. necessarily about power mm-hmm. in the sense that we think of it, you know, in a negative sense. But maybe getting power or control has to do with anxiety mm-hmm. or if you are a kid, cause that's what we're kind of talking about here. Kids that bully, they often have difficult home lives, mm-hmm. right? And so if you're being abused or neglected or just, you know, have a lot of stress going on in one setting, when you're in another setting where you're safe, you might want to relieve your anxiety or have some control in your life by bullying others. Mm-hmm. So Yes, kids can do that because kids with FASDs can do that because all kids could potentially do that yeah. if they're not if there's an issue in their life. Um,
0: from a parent perspective, I don't know if you're a parent and and this is where the question comes from. When I read that question, I felt, Like you were sitting, you had just come from a meeting at a principal's office where your child Mm. was accused of bullying um, Mm. another student. And you were like, what the heck? Like, are you kidding me? And I I felt that in that question. I don't know if that's the case or if I'm personifying (laughs) my own experiences onto you. But our oldest can be a real jerk face when she's feeling lonely. And what I learned is that it is about power, just like what we say a typical bully situation um, would occur occur from it's because especially for these kids that are struggling with having friendships um, they have lost all power and control over something that they developmentally and biologically crave yeah when we take that power away from children where they have no other access to achieving this this craving of their cells they are going to try to um, interact and mm-hmm. confront and stir things up just because they need interaction
1: yeah And one of my personal theories, when it comes to these kind of bullying slash oppositional behaviors, is that kids who struggle with anxiety or who struggle with executive functioning and planning, they will do it because at the very, even though it's not a a good response, it's a predictable response, and that's better than in their mind, in their anxious brain, as trying to try something different and see what happens because that still may not be successful because our kids try all the time to do well but then because they struggle with various things they're still kind of met with the same why aren't you doing better response totally yeah
0: so i've had a few a few meetings at school and i i've been the one to initiate it because i i've gone on like a field trip or i've been on a recess where i've noticed her with these behaviors where if i saw another child act like this i would call bully or i would say Mm -hmm. what the hell's going on let's take care of this so um, when I have called these meetings and I was like, "We have to figure this out. We have to find a way," blah blah blah, I always make sure that I break it down for them. Just yeah. I think in our society, just like what Nate was saying, we're so quick to have these bandage, these bandage responses, and we yeah. all go hell crazy about you know how we're going to fix the societal problem and we're going to support all these kids and empower mm-hmm. kids and. Um, but I really think that it's sometimes asked backwards, and I think this is the case. In that point is that we're no we're not looking at children as developing species that need love and affection and connection. We're looking yeah. at them as these vilified humans. So just like what Nate said, you know, if if you, if your child is is showing bullying type behaviors, just like ours is, and if you met ours, and I tell you these stories, you would have you would not believe me unless you saw mm-hmm. it happen because it's not who they are, right? It's a behavior they have and that behavior is for a reason. And I think a lot of times it's loneliness, it's sadness. Absolutely. Yeah. So advocate that in those meetings at school and talk to them about that loneliness and that sadness and say, how mm-hmm. can we get them more connected in their schools, and their community? Help me with this. Punishment is not an option.
1: Well, everyone, thanks again for listening to the yeah. It's a Brain Thing podcast. I don't think we said what the name of the podcast was. Yeah. It's, a, it's a
0: brain thing. Yeah. Also, I don't know if you – I'm having a hard time breathing tonight. Can you hear that over the radio? I don't know if you guys can hear my, my breathing. I keep trying to get further away from the microphone. <laughs> I'm like asthmatic. Go on. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Thanks to our producer, Caitlin.
0: Oh, Caitlin.
1: And I'm Nate. I'm Jill. And we'll talk to you guys next time.
0: hey Better than done, better than done, 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 done,
1: done, 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 done,